This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? We're back for another podcast. Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing really, really well. I am so excited to talk to Chris Jobin from Flatlander Kennels about my little Georgie and get his input on how he feels like I'm I'm doing with her. So, man, we've been <laughs> trying to get Chris on here, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> awesome. I hope he burns you good. Well, I'm sure if I don't if I don't get it now, I'm gonna need it at some point. Yeah, well, but Georgie's doing great, man. She's she's doing great. I'm extending her retrieves, and I got a Georgie vlog four, um, and I, I'm thrilled with everything she's doing. I, I I'm really really happy with this little dog. I say that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Uh, you can tell that she's got it in her, and um, she's gonna, you know. I can't wait to see the videos next year yeah. of you hunting with her and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's going to be, you know, for all the followers, all the fans of F- FDH, you know, seeing that dog come out in the first video is going to be really cool. Yeah. And I would say those of you that are just podcast listeners, um, after we talk to Chris Jobman and, and talk about my, my pup George and everything, if you want to see her in action on freelance duck hunting YouTube channel, I've got a playlist. It's just Georgie where I'm just showing what I'm doing with her. And I showed the trip out to Flatlander kennels to pick her up. So if you have not been over to YouTube, um, go ahead and do that and check me out and also check out Jordan's channel at duck gun chronicles as well. Yeah. I don't have any Flatlander kennels on there, so, but you um, do got some stuff. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've been cranking out the videos lately man yeah no it's uh right before season we're both getting excited all the kind of stuff and you know definitely been busy i was actually out at a game fair last weekend which is uh you know it's i think it has to be one of the biggest uh um duck hunting or just outdoor expos ever <laughs> it seems like it is i mean it's, everyone it's huge. social media was just blowing up with that game fair so how how did that go Oh, it went pretty good. You know, I was out there with HGR out there in the booth and, um, you know, selling some product and, um, you know, meeting a lot of people too from the podcast specifically came up and, you know, wanted to say, Hey, and it's really cool meeting a bunch of you guys and saying, Hey, and if you guys ever see us, either one of us out anywhere, you know, we really enjoy, uh, meeting you guys and meeting, um, people from the community and talking about duck hunting or whatever's going on. So, um, you know, feel free. I know I had a couple people that, you know, walked by like a couple times and, um, you know, you don't be bashful. We're glad to talk to you anytime. So when do I get my barrel sticker? Uh, do I actually have to have to leave a uh, five-star review <laughs> on my own podcast? Yeah, no, I thought, <laughs> I mean, I saw you had the one-star review and I'm not giving you one for that. So, <laughs> well, you really pissed me off that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I believe it said, <laughs> Elliot is an amazing 
amazing talent on the show, but you got to get rid of that Jordan bum one star. Mm. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> I saw a yeah. review like that on one of the other pod. I won't name who it is, but one of the other um, bigger Wi-Fi <laughs> podcasts where it was like, love the show, love with this guy, but th- then they named this guy, this other guy. He's a complete idiot. Get rid of him. <laughs> God, man. man. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me uh, off air. I'm dying to know that one. That's okay. pretty funny. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm kind of crafting my review of ours off of that for you <laughs> awesome so get over there guys and give us a five star with a review email it to jordan at duckgunchronicles at gmail.com and we've got some barrel stickers left and and hopefully i'll get one before they're all gone uh, yeah but we'll see no i actually i have a list of people so if you're waiting for yours i apologize i've been super busy with game fair i've been out there the last two weekends in a row no joke it was like working i mean it's fun to be out there. Don't get me wrong. But then like with travel time and everything like that, I mean, I was like literally like, I don't know, working air quotes. You guys can't see it, but air quotes working like 70 hour weeks, you know? So uh, last two weeks, but this week I'm going to get all those that you guys are waiting for and send them out to you. So, um, I'll, don't worry. I'll get them to you before season. And we'd love to see them, you know, um, once you guys have them on there rocking, um, go ahead and tag us anywhere on social media. We love seeing that kind of stuff. Um, I know Elliot, it helps his ego and all that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> uh, I don't I have any comeback for that. I, I just have to constantly deflect the negative comments that you make to be search, to be smirch my character. <laughs> be smirch. Um, Isn't that a great word? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Be smirch. It's pretty fun to do, too. Yeah, that's all right. I, I you know, I have only cried a couple times <laughs> he's, on. Best he's playing lap. the innocent man, but you guys should see how he treats me off air. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> who was it that apologized to who tonight off air? Um, uh, maybe it was you to your wife, probably. Now I will say I was not what, what you're apologizing about. There was no need in doing so. You gave me a hard time about something. What was it? I don't even remember. Was it um. That? Oh no! You messed up. You messed up the one of the social media links, oh, and, yeah, yeah. and the comment was first time YouTuber." Yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah. And you must think I have thin skin if that you think know. that's gonna hurt I, my feelings. I, after all yeah. the YouTube stuff, man, you you don't have thin skin anymore after you post YouTube videos. Yeah, that's true. So uh, here, here's the we sometimes do our um, comments of the week, and I'm I'm gonna do this. Here's my favorite comment that I got of the week. Um, all of your internet success has made you fat. <laughs> it's like, come on, in five years, I think I probably have gained 15 pounds, but I wouldn't, I mean, you know, over five years and I'm going from 41 to 46. I, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, I think. <laughs> yeah. So if I can take comments funny. like that, you know, your little piddly comments are nothing. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to start uh, cranking them a little up, turn up the heat <laughs> so I can, uh, so I can compete with all the internet bullies, I guess. <laughs> well, you got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, also, while we're on the these these subjects, um, make sure to uh, jump over there to um, the MVM show as well. Our brother podcast, Titus from Mid Valley Mercenary. Awesome dude over there. And also a member of the Flyway Collective. So if, um, you know, you're needing some more fix for your duck hunting addiction, um, he's definitely a great resource, resource as well. Did you see that he's going to do the teal opener with uh, Matt Hyperi Sportsman? Yep. Did you yep. know about that? Uh, yeah, I'd heard, I nice. heard about it through the grapevine. Oh, man, those so. videos will be great. 
Yeah, they're uh, they're both. I don't know if you've been seeing it, but they're they're talking about how they're not going to leave any till for you and me the following weekend. <laughs> uh, well, I already know for a fact that our marshes are filling up with till, so some have already slipped through the net. Nice. Golden Boy um, did some scouting, um, and I've been a little bit worried about our teal spot for this year. But Golden Boy did some scouting, and I don't know. Do you remember the video last year that Fumbles and Corn and I hunted in teal season? Um, yeah. That one. Anyway, this mm-hmm. that spot. Golden Boy saw like 300 blue wings in. So, awesome. and that spot's money. So we know, we know there's going to be, at this point I'll say there's going to be plenty of ducks there. We just have to make sure that we get our scouting in and we get up early enough to, we need to have, you know, five, six, seven um, different spots in our mind and get up at the right time. And I think we should be fine. All right. That sounds great to me. So I, I can't wait to shoot a limit. I mean, it's not all about the limits, but like for me, like I've uh, I've shot like on teal hunts, like like we always say, like, or like I always say, Indiana's not the best for it. I even traveled around Indiana, I've gone to Kentucky, but I've never shot more than four or five, mm-hmm. so I've never shot an actual limit of blue wing teal. Which again, it's one more bird, but it's like kind of just like a personal goal or something. You yeah, know, it'd be fun to do. I know you shot seven of them last year, so you're just like whatever. But <laughs> seven limits, not seven teal in one hunt. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Make sure and we get that right. Yeah, I don't remember. Shows. I'd have to look back at my records, but I know ever since that I've started FDH, we've limited the opener on teal four years in a row. Um, I, wow, is this I, like Caster's Curse or something? I don't know. It's Are you gonna, trying I'll, to get a skunk. <laughs> I'm going to go back and take a look and see how many years in a row we've shot a limit on um, teal on opening day. But that'd be that'd be interesting to know. So that's one. See, that's why I started filming. I can remember all those teal hunts because I videoed them. But the one right before I started FDH, I can't even remember. That's why I do. That's why I do what I do with videos, right there. Nice, yeah, that's a good idea. All right, well, um, our guest for tonight is Chris Jobman. Uh, have we already said that? We might have already said it, but uh, Elliot's a big fan of him after going out to the Flatliner Kennels um, and his dogs. And I'm going to learn a little bit more about him as well. Um, heard some great things and seen a lot of ribbons, so um, definitely excited about this one. So you got you got anything else to add before we uh, go go ahead and bring on the guest? Nope, I'm just ready to jump right into it. Alrighty, um, but right before we do that, quick word from our partners, and we'll be right back. Gunner's American-made dog boxes come with a lifetime warranty and the market's only CPS crash test certification. The guys over at Gunner Kennels have conducted major stress tests to show just how strong they really are, like applying 4,000 pounds of force dropping a 630-pound hammer from 8 feet and shooting it with a 12-gauge shotgun at 7 paces with no bullet penetration. Engineered for your dog and built for your peace of mind, Gunner doesn't cut any corners. Nothing comes close to the G1. Go to GunnerKennels.com and use code DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. What's going on, folks? I am Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host, Greybeard. Freelance duck hunting alongside me, and our guest for tonight is Chris Jobman, the owner, operator, and head trainer over at Flatland Kennels. How you doing tonight, Chris? Good, buddy. How are you? Doing great. And uh, you know, I've heard a lot um, from Elliot about you, his trip out there, and uh, picking up Georgie, and you know, he's super pumped about that. Um, so definitely uh, cool to have you on here and talk some dog training with you. So to kind of get this kicked off, uh, go ahead and tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Chris Jobman. I'm the owner-operator of Flatlander Kennels. Uh, I started this 
adventure 19 years ago and it started out as I just wanted a really good gun dog hunting dog and it's evolved into what we think is one of the, the finer retriever training facilities in the country um, I know there's other great ones out there too but I think we rank right up there with the rest of them um, pretty proud of what I built um, I didn't work for another trainer or anything like that I, all I, everything I've learned is trial and error uh, obviously way back when and now we've we run a lot of hunt tests we run the akc hunt tests we run the hrc hunt tests um we run some field trials small stake field trials and we also train a lot of gun dogs and we've got a pretty good staff here we train when we're rocking and rolling we got 70 plus dogs in training um, a staff of about anywhere from six to eight people and we travel all over the country running hunt tests and, and doing field trials and also building gun dogs and um it's just kind of evolved into the the monster that it is today um, out here you know we've trained i've trained probably 200 plus master hunters 250 hrchs um, i've trained 36 grand hunter retriever champions which we believe is the third most in hrc history hmm. and it's just kind of um evolved and blew up into this thing what we like to call as team flk because everybody you know all of our people here, all of our staff, our clients, our friends, you know, everybody that's involved with 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 us, we consider Team FLK. And, and that's a pretty good brand across the country right now. And you say Team FLK, a lot of people know who that is. So um, we do a lot of stuff on Facebook, um, stuff like that. Um, I personally don't. I'm not much of a tech guy, obviously. It took us a half an hour to get me on here. But um, <laughs> one of the guys that works for me, Eric, is really good at that, and he, he does all of our Facebook posts for us. But um, it basically, you know, I just wanted a really nice hunting dog, and I bought my first hunting dog in 1991 out of the newspaper. It was an English Springer Spaniel named Spencer for 400 bucks, and I thought I was crazy for paying that much. And I, I ran Springer Spaniels as an amateur all of the 90s i ran hunt tests with them i um ran some field trials with them i was a big pheasant hunter back then i lived in you know i live out here in western nebraska where we we have a lot of pheasants and i i did a lot of pheasant hunting with them and and i i got my first retriever it was my mom's dog a golden retriever by the name of bridget and she's like you want to train my golden retriever i'm like yeah i'll do that so i started playing with her and then the retriever game and it just kind of blew up i went to hunt tests and i started passing her and then you know, somebody like, hey, would you take my dog? I'm like, sure. You know, I'll try to train her. And then I trained that dog, and it did good. And next thing you know, I've got five, and then I got 10, and then I got 15. And, you know, 19 years later, you know, you got 75. And so it's just kind of <laughs> snowballed and blew up, which is, you know, we're very proud of what we built out here for sure. So you didn't have any mentor. You basically just kind no. of learned on the job. Zero mentorship. Um, it, yep. it was, it was a crazy thing too. Cause when I'm kind of one of them guys, it's all or nothing. And it's sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. And when I got into this deal, I could not soak up enough information. Mm -hmm. I read every book and watched every video. And I would go to a hunt test or a field trial back when I had my springers just to meet the top trainers in the country and to hang out and pick their brain and talk to them. And I had no intentions at that point in my life of being a professional dog trainer. Um, I, I would like to have, but I, I had no intentions of, people really make money doing this, playing with ducks and dogs all day long? Come on. <laughs> you know, and so I, and I just, 
I just kind of clicked. I grew up with horses running 4-H and, and some people are just good with animals and some people aren't. And for some reason, I actually kind of associate better with animals and people. And most people will tell you that, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and it just kind of worked out and I read every book and I tried this and I tried that and Hey, this doesn't work and this works pretty good. And then, you know, and then I just got better at it and got to be like a real student of the game. And now we have our own program. I got literature, you know, I use seminars, you know, all these things. I fly all over, I fly all over the country giving seminars. And, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty modern in our techniques, obviously now. Um, I think we're, we're ahead of the scale on some stuff. And, and you know, and it's, I never had a mentor. And so when I talk to people at my seminars or clients, hey, no, this is a better way to do it. And, and the reason why I can say that is because I did the other way. And because I never had somebody say, this is the only way to do it. I, I, I've tried everything. And, and our program that we have now, I truly believe is really good for us and works great for us is because I've tried everything. And some stuff works really good and some stuff doesn't. You know, we've talked to, we've had multiple trainers on here. We've just had the privilege of talking to a lot of different guys. And, and hearing you talk, it just kind of dawned on me that I always thought that um, anyone basically with enough knowledge could be a really excellent trainer. But hearing all you guys talk, it seems like maybe that there's something in that's just built into you guys that are at the professional level. It's more than the knowledge. Like you said, you know, you, you relate better to animals than you do people. What is your thought on maybe part of being an excellent trainer comes from the core of who you are as much as the information you're reading? Well, the thing about dog training is you can read it in a book, you can watch a video, and you can do all those things. But if you can't read between the lines and read the subtle, because an animal, whether it be a horse or a dog or anything, probably not a cat because cats could care less about people, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, they, they are speaking to you and communicating with you every ounce of their life. And now they can't talk to you, but, you know, if you ever want to watch dogs or anything like that in a in a kennel environment which is as close to a wolf pack as you're ever going to get um as far like when they're in the airing yards you know all together eight or nine dogs together you can yeah. see them communicate and if you watch that you'll learn that and some people can see and really read in between the lines and read the nuances of a of an animal and some people just can't um, I can't, I am terrible at math. I am horrible. It doesn't, how can A plus B equals C, D? It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so, and that's how, you know, some people are with animals. They can read it and they're like, well, this dog is supposed to be doing this. Well, that's what the book says. Well, I'm t the book is just a guideline and you have to be able to, you know, pull a pull a, pull a choke and pump the gas and understand how to make that animal, you know, work. So that's well, the main difference is reading the body language and understanding what they're communicating to you. Yes. And yes. that's what separates the non-trainers from the novice trainers from the professional yeah. trainers, that yeah. ability. Well, the, the good trainers. The, yeah. I know a lot of amateurs that are very, very good dog trainers. And they could be professionals if they wanted to be. But you know what? This life isn't for everybody, and I get it. And, and that, but that separates the good from the bad. I know a lot of professional dog trainers that shouldn't be training at all either. <laughs> and And... The thing about it is, is, is you have to train the individual dog. You, not every dog is going to be 
the greatest dog in the history of the world. That, and you can't make them that, but you know how to make them the best that that dog can, then that dog can possibly be. So you have to read each, what each individual dog is telling you and adjust your technique or how you try to teach the dog to make that dog better. Now, they can go through the same program. You just might have to, you know, speak to them in a little bit different language, so to speak. So, um, so question on um, something you kind of mentioned earlier on there. Um, I think the way you said it is you got dogs that do the HRC tests, um, a couple other tests, the hunt test, and gun dogs. So, I guess what is the, the big difference? Because um, I guess with all the testing, um, I guess I never really thought of it as those dogs being different. But how, how uh, I guess, what are the differences there? Well, and, and I always tell people this. This is the funniest thing ever is when, 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 when people call me, the first thing out of their mouth is, I don't want a field trial dog. Well, it's the same steps. They're the same dogs. They're just trained to a little higher level. And, you know, I don't want a field trial dog. Well, it's the same steps. But when they come to the kennel and they watch their gun dog that, you know, um, they got out of the newspaper at Walmart or wherever they found it. And the dog is a very average dog, very average to below average dog. And which is fine if that's what they want. That's totally fine. I get that. But then they see the big dogs run and they're like, I want one of those, <laughs> which Elliot, you just bought one of those. I'm excited about that. too. <laughs> <laughs> and they want one of those. Well, you don't own one of those. They're like, how do I get one of those? And so then we can start the process all over again. But you know, what I always tell people is, is it's no different. All my test dogs that we have here, every one of them hunt. And they're literally the finest hunting dogs you've ever seen. Like they'll mark all the birds you shoot, but if you if you cripple a bird and it sails off and dies 300 yards away, as long as you can see that dog and that dog can hear and see you, you can put that dog on that bird. And you don't have to walk 300 yards to the buck to get it because you can run a blind retrieve to do it. And I always tell people, you know, not every hunting dog can be a good hunt test dog, but every hunt test dog can be a great hunting dog. See what I'm saying? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. It, it yeah. does, and and they're just held to a little higher standard. And and but even our dogs that we have here is they're all hunting dogs. I mean, every single one of them are, and they go hunting. And but they're very very good. And and I can put them on any bird I want. And I can put them in the be- the beauty of a really good hunt test dog is you can put them in any hunting situation in North America or the world and they're going to excel because you, you can, you, you have so much control on them. You can get them to do whatever you want them to do. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, definitely really cool. See, see dogs work like that. Um, for sure. So do you have something else you want to add Elliot before I move on to the, the next thing on that? Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so um, kind of talking about your past there a little bit, you said you got into um, 4-H and working with the horses, and that was kind of your introduction to working with animals. Um, but but at what part of your life did you start hunting? Uh, six years old. <laughs> it's literally and, six uh, years old. Okay, yeah, go ahead and uh, let's, let's hear a little bit about your hunting background. My first hunting experience, well, my first experience shooting a gun. You're going to love this. <laughs> you guys remember the old bolt action 12 gauges you used to buy it like montgomery wards 
You might not might be old enough yet. My dad had a old, and they had one of those chokes on the end of the cho- on the gun barrel that you could adjust the choke. Well, I wanted to shoot a gun. He's like, you want to shoot a gun? I'm like, I want to shoot that gun. He's like, you think you're big enough? I was like, I can shoot that gun. I'm six or seven years old, guys. He hands me a 12-gauge bolt action from Montgomery Award, and I shot that thing and ended on my back. I ain't, I ain't kidding you, crying and the whole deal. And I'm like, well, that was pretty fun. And, and from then on, I literally, I, I just, so we lived in a little town in, the, in southwest Nebraska named, named Curtis, Nebraska. And it is, as a kid, it is like the gold mine of kids. Because you live there, they have everything. The only thing they don't have is they don't have very good waterfowl hunting. But you can shoot ducks, geese. Deer, turkeys, fe- I mean, not ducks and geese, but pheasants and quail, and you can shoot everything. Well, we moved there, and, and I, was a, I was a nut about it. I mean, I would go out by myself. You know, I'm eight, nine years old doing this by myself. So my dad, <laughs> he, we'd all be in jail at, at this day and age. But man, I'm going to tell you, my dad bought me, I, I was in 4-H, and I would sell, you know, pigs and stuff. And so I had some money when I was a little kid. And so I bought myself a Yamaha 125 Enduro, and I put... On the handlebars, a gun rack, and I literally would take a 20 gauge Remington 870 20 gauge. It didn't even have the 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 rib on it. It was just a straight barrel 20 gauge. That and a 22 on my handlebars in a gun rack. Put my my hunting clothes on, my vest on, get on my motorcycle, and I'd leave all day. All day. What what age was this again? Eight or nine. <laughs> I'm not I'm not exaggerating, guys. And I did that for. I did that first till I could drive till I could drive. <laughs> that's, and and, that's and when awesome. I and when I lived in the country, we lived in the country, you could drive to school when you're fourteen years old. That's when I started <laughs> driving to school. Well, I did my little it's twenty twenty five Enduro till I was fourteen years old. And I would literally leave eight or nine years old, I'd be gone all day. And all my neighbors knew me. And back then <laughs> there was no cell phones, so my mom would call my neighbors and say, Hey, have you seen Chris? Yep, he just went by about 15 minutes ago, he, he's probably over at the Messersmiths. And I'd be over there, and I would sit down, and I would have lunch with the, with the ranch hands. Have, and I'd say, hey, can I go shoot pheasants? He's like, yeah, go out in the back. I saw it. And I'd go back there and shoot some pheasants. And then I would go, and I'd see some quail, and I'd go shoot. The, I had permission to go everywhere. And everybody knew who I was in about a 20-mile radius. And I'd come home, and I'm not even going to tell you how many pheasants and quail and rabbits I had, because I didn't know there was limits on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea there was limits. And my dad's like, what are you doing? I'm like, it was a great day today. I'll be back. i got to go clean this stuff. And, and I had no idea there was limits back then. And, this and, is like something from a movie or something. Dude, I'm telling you, this is 100% a true story. That's, That's that crazy. Is, it is unbelievable. I'll, I'll never forget this as long as I have. My dad used to drive a, uh, an oil truck for Marathon Oil, and we and I used to ride with him. And he, this was illegal, obviously, but he'd take me with him, and I would take my 20 gauge with us. <laughs> and he would he would get oil from the oil wells, and I would during pheasant season, I would walk all the canyons looking for pheasants and quail. And I had a heck of a time killing anything because I'm left eye dominant, but now I shoot I shoot left handed now. But for Five or six years, I shot right-handed. I couldn't hit a damn thing. And I'm, we're, and, and he's getting oil one day, and I'm probably a mile from his truck, I suppose, just walking around by myself. And I finally shoot my first pheasant by myself, <laughs> finally. 
and I was so pumped. I shot that thing. I dropped my gun. I grabbed that pheasant, and I ran as fast as I could back to my the truck <laughs> to show my dad. And then he's That's like, "Where's awesome. your?" And then he's like, "Where's your gun?" And I'm like, "Oh shit!" So I had to run all the way back, <laughs> find my gun in the weeds, get my gun. Run. It was it was a nightmare. And then. But I honestly, that's how I grew up. I grew up with a, then when I outgrew the motorcycle, I had a little, I was probably 12 or 13. I had a little Suzuki Samurai and it was a three cylinder Suzuki Samurai, top speed, 45 miles an hour. And you felt like you were flying in that thing. And then I would drive around all winter in that thing. And I had trap line in the summer. I had set lines in the Creek. And I mean, I was just, a, I was outdoors river rat. And I did all the same things, played the football. I did all that stuff too. But outdoors is honestly has, has been something that's been in my blood forever. And I'd get my dad up, hey, let's go hunting. He's like, I don't want to go. I'm like, come on, let's go. I'm like, it's free. It's 20 below. I'm like, it's going to be a great day. And I'd get on, get in that damn Suzuki Samurai and take off. And that's honestly how I grew up. I honestly grew up just like that. What a great way to grow up. It couldn't mm-hmm. be any better than that. <laughs> it can't be. But you can't do that nowadays. Yeah, but but I'm telling yeah. you, I I just drove all over the place shooting stuff. You know, I did hunter safety. You know, I did all this, but I grew up around guns. I mean, I'm, you know, six, seven, eight years old. You know, we respected firearms and we respected nature and and we understood it. We had farm animals. We had chickens and geese and horses and pigs and cows. I mean, we, it was just a way of life for us. You know what I mean? And I would come home and make my mom cook all this stuff, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "We're having rabbits tonight." I mean, I shot three <laughs> rabbits today. She's like, what do I do with a rabbit? It's like, I don't know. You know, back then there was no internet. There were, you couldn't Google rabbit recipes, you know. But that's how I grew up, with no dog. I just wandered around the countryside shooting stuff. I'd say that's the best hunting background uh, story that I've heard. Since we've been <laughs> yeah. Doing this. yeah, that's true, awesome. It is a true story. It's, it was, it, I'm going to tell you what. I had, a, I had an unbelievable childhood for the outdoors. I, my parents trusted me. And, and gave me the reins to explore and kind of just be a man, yeah. you know, you know, an outdoors guy and, and the trials and tribulations if, of being outdoors. And I wasn't babied, I can promise you that. Oh, man. <laughs> now but, that you uh, are all into training, because, um, I mean, I've, I've been in contact with you and I can tell how busy you are. It's just unbelievable do you feel like you still have enough time to kind of go out and still do those or those other things you did growing up as far as the lines and all the different kind of hunting or do you just Um, so into dogs you love that well it's what i what i used to be and i don't get to do everything i want to do obviously because this is a unbelievably busy 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 profession especially if you're at the level and, and the scale that we are and a lot of other trainers are in the country but what, my, what I mostly focus on now is I shoot waterfowl. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big duck guy. I, I could care less about a Canadian goose. We have, where we live right out here on the North Platte River is some of the best waterfowl hunting in the country, or in the world. And I own a little guiding outfit called Duck Haven Outfitters. And, and I don't really guide much, but I have guides that guide. And, and, and we take people hunting, and we really enjoy teaching people and showing people their first experiences and show them kind of how we live but i i basically shoot ducks and and i i'm a small gauge guy i shoot a 20 gauge at the most i shoot 28 gauge most of the time um and and 
so now to me, I've grabbed, you know, I was, it was, it's funny that you ask all that because when I was a kid, I could not wait to shoot a 12 gauge. I, I could, I'm like, I'm getting a 12 gauge. I finally, I, I bought my first 12 gauge. It was a Remington 1187. I'll never forget it. And I couldn't wait to shoot a 12 gauge. Now I can't tell you the last time I shot a 12 gauge was, and I won't even shoot one. If I have to shoot a duck with a 12 gauge, I'm not going. Um, I, I like to get him in close and, and, and cause I've, I've shot a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the kill to me isn't about it. And I've taught my kids this and my wife and the people who work for me. And, and it's about the show. And if you shoot everything at 40 and 50 yards, you never get to see the show. Yeah. And, and to me, it's about, cause I've killed a lot. I mean, I, I've killed a lot of things and, and, but what I, what I miss is I don't get to deer hunt anymore. I haven't shot a deer in, I can't tell I've shot a lot of deer, nice deer on the wall. And I was a big muzzleloader guy because that was more sporting. So I said, that's what I did. It was a muzzleloader. And I don't turkey hunt anymore, which I wish I kind of did a little bit. I used to walleye fish a little bit. But my dog life has overtaken every other aspect of my life. I mean, I was a zero handicap golfer for 25 years. Oh, wow. I'm still probably a two or three. And, <laughs> and, but I don't get to do it. I don't get, I don't get to do it. Um, so my dog life as overtaking turkey hunting, cause that's right in the middle of, of the, our busy, one of our busiest times of the year, you know, and deer hunting starts in the middle of September and, and then now I'm at the grand and the master national and walleye fishing out of the question because, or any kind of fishing at all, because I am, I'm in the summer times we're working. So literally the only thing I really get to do is in the winter time, <laughs> I shoot ducks and geese. Cause I live right here. I mean, it's, we shoot two or 300 ducks on my property that I own right here where we train before it freezes. And, and so basically that's what I focus on is that cause it's, it's overtaken everything else for sure. Well, that's one of the things I noticed when I came up there, just how beautiful your property was. I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, just the, uh, the surroundings. And I don't know what those structures, and we talked about it. What are those rock structures they call out there? Well, we, like, if you're any kind of historian at all, there is the Mormon Trail and the Oregon Trail. And the Mormon Trail was on um, the north side, north side of the river. The Oregon Trail was on the south side of the river. And there's still places in these pastures that you can see wagon trail ruts still. You can still see them. And we live literally at the base of Chimney Rock, which is a nationally known historical monument on the Oregon Trail. It's a huge, it's a big deal to people that are into that sort of thing. And we live right by it. It's yeah. only a few miles away. Like you can and see it right from you, your property. I'm looking at it right now yeah. from my kitchen window. <laughs> yeah. And all the other big structures we have around us are, they all have names to them, Castle Rock and stuff like that. But we live, they call, they're called the Wildcat Hills. Okay. And they're actually really rugged. If you go up in there, there's thousand foot drop-offs. And they're bigger than you think they are. And there's, you know, the, the beauty of that is, is there's, there's some of the largest elk in the country live up there. Hmm. And bighorn sheep. I mean, there was a little girl last year, I think she was 13 years old, shot a 416-inch elk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now where do you go from there? <laughs> you know? So, well, the thing but, about that's so amazing is it's, it's a soft land. It's yeah. farm and grasses and the Platte yeah. River. And then out of nowhere... You have these rock structures, which it really makes an unusual diversity. It's so. it's incredible, and it's in in not all of Nebraska is like this. If, if people were to drive across Nebraska, they go across I eighty, and they're like, "This is the most boring state I've ever seen in my entire life." You got to get off of it. 
And when you get, but Western Nebraska, where I live, we're three hours north of Denver, you know, 100 miles from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And no other place in Nebraska looks like Western Nebraska. And we're two, two hours from the Black Hills. You know, it's, so it, it's a very unique part of Nebraska for sure. Well, now that I've got the connection of you, I'm hoping that I can get out there sometime and, and uh, get on some duck hunting at some point. Well, man, come on. I was impressed with that area, I can tell you that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Georgie now, Jordan. Is that all right? I've been waiting and waiting. Make him wait. Make him wait. <laughs> yeah, I was, thought, I was thinking we could put that at the very end of the podcast. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, if we have time, we can talk about your pup. <laughs> hey, people that listen want to know. I'll tell you, Chris, you probably don't listen to the podcast that much. She has certainly been a topic of conversation well, good. Uh, on the podcast. This little dog has taken the Even, whole house by storm. Even before she was a topic, because uh, Elliot was hemming and hauling about getting a pup because his last dog, uh, Izzy, or his current dog, Izzy, um, getting up there in age. <laughs> what was it I said, Elliot? Well, I'll let me give some context. It was about February, and I was worn out after the season, and I was thinking about trying to get a dog in February, and I was like, I just I didn't feel emotionally ready for it. And I, I didn't want to get a dog until I was totally ready. So, and my, and Izzy wasn't hunting cold weather cause she's old. And for a few hunts, I was just kind of enjoying the peacefulness of not worrying about a dog, even though Izzy's a very easy dog to hunt with. And so Jordan you know, was really, I don't want to interrupt you. I don't, but that's, you know what? It's funny that you say that my best times hunting are when I don't even take a dog. Because I yeah. sit in the blind with my with my wife or my kids or my friends, and I let everybody else run their dogs because I get mm-hmm. to do it every day, all day long. So I get to sit in there and make we make breakfast in our blinds, I and mean, we have skillets and the whole deal. And I get to, I make breakfast for everybody and call the shot. And sometimes I shoot, sometimes I don't, and it's just fun watching it. And I don't get to even run a dog, but yeah. I enjoy watching them do their thing, and yeah. it's very peaceful, not actually worrying about one. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. And Jordan, yeah. Jordan just wouldn't let me hear let me uh, hear the end of it. Uh, yeah, because I, well, I know what you'd be saying in till season this next year or something when you're out there running around chasing cripples. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, by the time that I came up there to Flatland and Kennels, well, I was totally ready to go and excited. And uh, man, this this little dog has just taken the whole house by storm. And and I my my wife is totally not a dog person at all. She's probably petted um, Izzy three or four like maybe once a year she touches her and now little Georgie's here and she's like baby talking her and coloring her arms and this dog has won my wife over so I thank you very much for that Chris I would all to your little pup good good she's a nice I'm gonna tell you that little breeding she came out of is we still have a a few of them left to be honest which which is crazy to me but we're doing all kinds of if you follow our Facebook page, you can see some of the stuff we're doing with our puppies, and we're doing place and treat training and teach them to sit and jump up, jump up on boxes and stuff. I'll tell you what, that, that litter she came out of is unbelievable right now. I yeah, mean, I, they I, are, I, they're retrieving full-grown mallards at 50 or 60 yards in the water. It's yeah, that's nuts. what you told me, and I was like, boy, uh, it's uh, you can tell who's the pro and who's the amateur. Cause... Mm. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that I, I'm very, very happy with, with where Georgie is. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to have on here, I know that I've uh, you have watched a couple of the little Georgie vlog videos that I've put out, and um, I was hoping that you could just after a look. I know there wasn't a whole lot of information on there, but any little thing 
um, that you've noticed or thought. And let me tell you right now kind of what my goals are currently with her. So right now I've just started um, with place with her. Mm-hmm. And I've done, she, she does fine on a stake. She's spent a lot of time on that. Um, I've got her on a lead and she does fine with that, but I'm, I'm not healing or anything. I just want walking around with her on the lead a little bit. Um, I've started sit with her and now I'm to the point where I've moved her to real bumpers and I'm extending um, the bumper. So she's probably doing 20, 25 yards um, at this point and she's bringing it all the way back most of the time. Um, yep. I've, I've got a check cord on her. So about, let's say I go out and I do four or five retrieves in a session with her. Cause, and correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is I just don't want to overdo it, um, with her. I would like to. So if I'm wrong on that, tell me, but about once no, out of five, is, that's perfect. Okay. Well, and the thing about and she might be able to do more than that. The, the biggest thing, there is no set number on that. The, the biggest thing is, is you want to quit while they're still wanting to mm-hmm. do it. That's the main, that's the biggest thing. You got to stop when they're, to, to, don't get them to the point where they think it, it's a job. Yeah. You know, it, and you might be able to throw 10 or 15. I, okay. I don't know. It yeah. just all depends on her. Well, she's got a lot of drive. I'm just trying oh, to be yeah. real sensitive to that. Yeah. And, and about one out of five, she's kind of veering off for me, but I've got her on that check cord. So I just step on it, give her a little tug, say here, and she comes right over. Yeah, um, yeah, but, and that's the biggest, and that's and, you know that's a great, and you know another thing I was going to show, you, I watched that the other night, is when you throw that bumper, why don't you hold on to that check cord? Okay. Instead of just letting it, you know, because like the end of it, how long is that thing? Oh, 10, 15 feet maybe, maybe it's longer okay. than that. It's not. I thought, super, it, was, not, I thought it was longer than that. Maybe it is. I, maybe when yeah. I saw. But like, go get like a hundred footer. Okay. And I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna get wrapped up in it, and she's gonna she's gonna burn your ankles with a rope. And when that happens, I want a picture. It's like <laughs> the greatest thing ever because it's gonna happen. But go get like a hundred footer. It doesn't have to be very thick. Just like a hundred footer, and and get some leather gloves and and put it in your hand. And then so when you throw it out there, let her just run with it and let that check cord go through your hand. Okay. And then when she grabs it and starts coming back, you start reeling her in. Mm-hmm. Then in, instead of letting her go by you and stepping on it and like, bleh, you know, choking her down, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Mm-hmm. When, but just start reeling it in and then you can kind of almost like a fish, you can kind of almost reel her back to you instead of letting her run by you all the time. Okay. So okay. she gets used to coming straight back to yeah. you. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. But it's going to be that. a cluster. It's going to be wrapped around you, the trees, the kids, your wife. I mean, it's it's just that's just how it is, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I will certainly certainly do that. Um, anything else from the from the videos you've seen that you're like, oh, maybe do this or do that or here's no, you know, I really know. like your I, I really like your um your your find it game mm-hmm. um, in your house. But I would instead and that's that's a command that you're gonna you give your dogs to look for a bird that's dead. That's it down, is. That that's what I've traditionally it. done. Yeah. 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 We say hunt them up if they can't. You know, we say hunt them up. But find mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Um, the biggest thing is you've got to be careful of, and I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but, and most people are like this, is, is the number one attribute to a retriever is, is what do you think that is? Like their number one thing that they're going to use to find a bird. Everybody's, I think you're probably going to say nose, although my dog it, has been eyes. <laughs> it's not. It's not the nose. It's the eyes. Okay. And if you, and I love how you're doing that. You just got to be a little bit careful because the thing about a retriever is they've got to see the bird for one, watch the bird fall, go to where their eyes are telling them to go, 
and then use our nose to find it. Mm -hmm. If you, and, and a lot of people don't understand this, but if this just, just say you have a pheasant hunting dog and it's a, and it's a Labrador and you take a duck hunt and it, all it does is it hunts for pheasants and it goes wherever his nose is telling him to go. And so when you shoot a duck and let's just say you've got to go through 30 yards of cattails to get to it. Those dogs that pheasant hunt a lot are going to have, are going to struggle getting to that bird because they're going to smell a feather here, a feather there. And they're, they're, they're just going to start quartering through that cover to get uh -huh. to that bird. And they'll go wherever their nose ends up going. And hell, there might be older birds in there. There might be birds roosted in there one night. There might be a coot in there, and they're chasing that thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, so they've got to watch the bird fall, go to that area where that bird fell, and then use our nose to find it, if that makes so sense. So with the find it game, with the wing, I'm almost, I have to be careful that I'm not training her too heavy on her nose. Yes, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, yeah, so that's what I'm trying to tell you. With with what I with what I've been doing out there, should I just do it less often? Should I hold off and not do it? How should I? No, adjust? keep doing what you're doing. I don't think you're overdoing that. Okay, I what I what I do. I love the way that instills prey drive in her. Yeah. Like she's looking for a bird. I mean, mm -hmm. she is looking. And you, what you're doing right now is completely fine. One hundred percent, completely fine. Now, when you start throwing marks for her, you'll start holding it, and maybe one of your kids or something can will stand out in the field and throw your marks and she'll run to it and then you'll know, get in the area and look yeah. for it and then smell it and bring it back. But when what you're doing is completely fine. I used to do that with my Springer Spaniels all the time. And when we dropped the pheasant, we couldn't find it. I said, hunt them up, dead bird, hunt them up, hunt them mm. up. And they would just, just like Georgie does, and they would find that thing. I mean, it's crazy. But you just want to make sure you don't want to put too much emphasis on her nose at this point. So that when you do start running marks with her, mm -hmm. um, and if you get to the point where you're going to run blind retrieves with her, she doesn't trust her nose more than her eyes. Okay. If yeah, I think sense. I'm on track because I've been doing a lot more of just the retrieving with the dummies. I don't do yeah. the wing every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do a lot more of the – my main goal right now is extending those retrieves and then place and, and a little bit of sit. Let me ask this question because – with these YouTube videos, you know, everyone that watches a YouTube video wants to give their two cents on what I'm doing wrong, and, and oh, which is fine. I, I want people yeah. to comment. Well, everybody's, everybody's a professional dog trainer when it comes to computers. But one of the number one things I get is I need to be studying her now, and I need to be studying her now. And and no. I, what I thought I got from you and from talking with Freddie King is that, no, don't do that now. Do not do that now. Okay. The, here's the biggest thing that people, people – we get one of two things here. We either get, we either get a person that puts their dog in a kennel and does absolutely nothing with it. Because we usually get our dogs in training for six, you know, when they're six or seven months. But we'll train, we'll take them obviously later in their life too, when we have a lot. But we get somebody that sticks their dog in a kennel for the first six, seven, eight months of their life, and we get them back, and, and we get them in training, and all of a sudden they're scared to death of the world. And I'm like, what is going on? What did you do with this dog? Has never seen a bird, has no retrieving desire, scared of people, scared of sounds. He's like, we put it in a kennel and we didn't want to ruin it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you what, you're doing a really good job of ruining it. Yeah. This dog is scared of the world. Or they are going to be a super trainer and I'm going to teach it to sit here, heel, down, all that stuff at three months old. That, that's, that, that's just as bad. Because the thing about it is, and, and there's this other old saying out there that we all use is, is you can't put, you can't put it in them, but you can take it out of them. 
And a lot of people want to do making them sit and making them be steady at that age. You don't know what that dog is going to be like at a year or two years old. You really don't. She could be overly sensitive, and you don't even know it right now because everything's fun for her. You know, she has no rules. And you start adding a bunch of rules to a dog that is, what are they, 12 weeks old now? Uh, 13. They're 13 weeks? And, and at that age, and she might be really sensitive, and you don't even know it. And you start making this a job, which I mean, with the sit-stay is a job now. Mm-hmm. So she wants to go get it, and you don't want to go get it, and, you, and she, get, she gets in trouble for leaving. And then pretty soon she's like, you know, this is no fun. This, this, this is no fun at all. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're better off. And I don't care who's telling you this. They can, they can call me. They're wrong right now. <laughs> so um, that's not the thing to be doing. If, if you're starting to put – what I think you're doing with Georgie right now is absolutely perfect. Because when I get a dog in – say Georgie was going to come in for training, which I know she's not, but, but say she was, I would much have, rather have Georgie come in like she is right now than a dog that is an obedience champion mm-hmm. that doesn't really that has a very mediocre retrieving desire. Yeah. I want a dog that comes in the train that all they care about is retrieving. They know their name, maybe sit a little bit and their kennel and that's about it. I, I would much rather deal with a retrieving maniac than a dog that looks like a robot. Because I'm gonna tell you, you don't know this at her age yet, you can really hurt her desire desire and drive if you start putting too much control on her. That, that's great for confirmation on that because I was sure that that's what I had gotten from both you and you sent um, myself and Jordan uses it too over to the retrievertrainer.com with Freddie King yeah. and yeah. he's really accessible. And so from both you guys, it's really great when I get these comments on YouTube because it's a great comeback to say, well, I don't know. I've talked to Chris Jobin and Freddie King and that's what they're telling me to do. So yeah, the conversation well, the, over. <laughs> yeah, the thing about it is, man, everybody, you get on the internet or Facebook, everybody's a professional dog trainer. And most of them you don't even know which end of the dog to feed, let alone train one. But <laughs> but they're an expert, you know. But um, no, Freddie's a great guy. Freddie's a very good friend of mine. I like to contribute to his page as much as I can, and I've known Freddie a long back back when I used to run the SRS, and Freddie was a cameraman. I've known him a long time. Yeah, he seems like a great guy. We were supposed to have him on last week, but it fell through. So we're yeah. having him on, I think, September fourth, so we can oh, talk good. to him at good. that time too. Well. Um, one, one more thing about George, I'd just say that um, I can certainly vouch for your dogs because I've had, this is my third hunting dog. The first one was just $15 out of the paper. The second one was $350. And now just seeing the difference to a well-bred dog. And I tell people, it's like, you know, would you rather have, you know, a professional athlete's child or just some high school basketball player, you know? Um, and exactly. to me, that's kind of the difference. But this this little dog is so much. Just everything about her is different in her drive and yeah. in her desire, in her attention. It almost seems. I mean, it's yeah. it's truly incredible. Well, and and that's that's exactly right. I mean, the cheapest part of owning a dog is buying it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, holy smokes! I mean, why are you gonna you know buy a, a cheap cheap dog someplace? And I'm not saying they won't be a great dog. They will be. But you know, her parents have had all their health testing and. You know, the whole nine yards. So there's a lot that goes into a puppy at our level. We take, you know, my wife takes big pride in this stuff, and, and, and she's doing a lot of one with them right now. And why would you spend 50 bucks, 100 bucks, $400 on a dog, and then put years and countless hours in training that dog? Why not stack the deck? You know, that's like going out and buying a custom rifle and putting a Bushnell from Walmart on it. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, the biggest thing is, is buy, you know, if, if we're talking puppy buying, buy the one, buy usually the most expensive one you can find that has a great pedigree and, and has all the health testing by mom and dad and go for it. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of great breeders out there. Right now, the puppy market's flooded with puppies. Everybody thinks they're a breeder. And, and that stuff, I mean, I'll tell you, you got to be careful out there right now on some of that stuff. And you got to go through people who are reputable and know what they're talking about when it comes to that sort of thing. But um, the cheapest part about a dog is buying one, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, this little dog is has a high desire. And when you put it, when I put a wing in front of her, there was some switch that was flipped, I'll tell you. Because oh, <laughs> she went oh, nuts. Oh, man. Oh, man. We, and I'll tell you what. If you could get you a clipped wing, a pigeon right now, yeah. a clipped wing pigeon, mm -hmm. pull the flight feathers out, you are going to see a whole different animal. <laughs> Yeah, I need to do that. I think that's how about a quail would be ever. okay, wouldn't it? When a quail quail right? would be okay. The only problem with quail is they're really little mm -hmm. and their feathers come off really easy. Uh -huh. And so that gets it like a shooting a dove. You know how them feathers just fall yeah. off? Yeah. And that's what happens with the quail. But if that's all you can get, that's better than nothing. A pigeon is absolutely perfect because pigeons are a heck of a lot tougher than quail. And the quail are really little. So a lot of times they'll start chomping on them, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> It's and, 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 yeah, it's it is what it is, man. And you know, the thing about it is, is and everybody's like, oh my god, it's got a hard mouth. It's chewing on it. Yeah, you don't want the dog chewing the bird up and that sort of thing. I get it, but you also want them to, you know, really want that bird. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's what it takes. Let yep. them be a little bit rough with it. But you know, you don't want it to be a habit. But you know, let them. The biggest thing about making a gun dog, man, you you got to have birds to do it. All right, you can't you can't train a hunting dog with bumpers. It ain't gonna happen. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to get on that. I know I, I've yeah. done. I got to figure out a place to get some pigeons or trap them or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. All right. So, everyone's heard uh, my story about Chief getting my first dog, doing everything wrong, and having to retrain him. Um, but we we want to hear about uh, your first dog and how your training went with that. Um, my first dog, his name was my first real hunting dog was named Spencer. A black and white English Springer Spaniel that I bought for 400 bucks out of the newspaper in Sydney, Nebraska. That's where I basically grew up at and, and when I graduated high school. And I'm going to tell you, I, I was going to make this dog into the next greatest thing you've ever seen. I bought every book and every video, and I, and I bought the cheapest. And I thought 400 bucks. I mean, I'm thinking, man, this is the holy grail of dogs right here, you know. Woo! And, you know, I'm a 19-year-old kid, and I buy this dog, and, and we actually, I honestly, I will say, I made that dog into a very, very, very nice gun dog. He, he did a good job for me. But he was honestly, looking back at it, he was very common. I mean, he, he did what I wanted him to do. He would retrieve. He'd deliver to hand. You know, he'd, he'd sit. We used to call it HUP. It's H-U-P in the Spaniel world. He'd HUP when I wanted him to, sort of. And, you know, that sort of thing. And, it, and he, he was black and white. He was kind of mean. It, it was, it was, and he was, it was different. He, he hunted a lot of years with me for sure. But I'm going to tell you, he took a backseat to the next one I, I bought. So the next one I bought, I went out and bought a real deal. And um, he was a nice dog. He ended up being a great family dog. I retired him at about six years old because I had two other ones that were unbelievable. And I was tired of fighting with Spencer to, <laughs> get in the truck and then get out of the truck and then it just he's just one of them dogs that it's a typical you know cheap dog that you buy and and 
it's not what you think. But look, you know, you think you got something back then. I think I thought, I really thought I had something. And, and I went to a field trial, I'll never forget it. So I have Spencer and I'm a 19 year old kid and he's six months old. And I'm going to an English Springer Spaniel field trial. I'm going to watch some of the best trainers in the country in Colorado do this deal. And I went and watched and I did the exact same thing my clients do. I'm like, I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at Spencer and he's growling at me on the front seat. I'm like, yeah, you are not one of those, but you're going to be my gun dog for a little while. And I ended up getting quite a few of those after that. But yeah. And I will say, if you guys want to see what Chris is talking about on Flatlander Kennel's Facebook page, he does a lot of videos of working the dogs. And one of the funnest things that I was able to watch was Georgie's dad before I got her, um, Flash, and you had him on there. Yeah. And so if you guys want to see what he's talking about, go to that Flatlander Kennel's Facebook page and check out those videos. Yeah, we do a we do a video. I, I do a, I started a video series years ago, and I call it Dog of the Day. And how it came about, and I need to do more of it, but we're, I just, I'm not a big Facebook guy or getting, I've been in the camera a lot when I'm with Avery and Bandit and all them guys and doing the Team Water Dog stuff. But um, not, I'm not big in getting into Facebook, but I need to do it more. But I used to, I just started a video series called Dog of the Day. And I was driving to Texas one February, me and my wife are driving to Texas. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got all these sponsors, you know, I've got Avery and Purina and it was, back then it was Yukonuba at the time and I had you know Avery and Yukonuba and Sport Dog and I have all these sponsors for the kennel and I'm like I, I need to do something to kind of recognize these guys and also put the clients dogs out there so people can see them and they're proud of their dogs and that sort of thing so I'm sitting there driving to Texas in, in February on our winter trip to go train so I came up with this idea of the dog of the day and so what I do is I pair it with like a sponsor so today is like when we did flash a uh, real good friend of mine he's a breeder lincoln creek labs who owns flash and he, he's a very good customer great friend of mine and i'm like you know what we're gonna that's what we did so on flash's deal it was lincoln creek labs dog of the day and then sometimes we'll do and then we use flash as the dog so we we say his flash's titles we would put that all on there and then we run a setup in our training setup and explain the setup and explain what we're doing. And it's real time. I mean, when you see a dog not do it perfectly, they might get a correction. They might not. And they always don't do it perfectly. But that's it. Well, when I started doing the dog of the day, that just exploded. And I'm going to tell you, it's the craziest thing. I, I can go all over the country and it doesn't matter if I'm in South Carolina or California. One of the first things that people come up to me is like, hey, I watch you on Dog of the Day all the time. <laughs> it, it's crazy how people love that thing. And it, it was an accident. It was honestly it was just an accident. It, it is fun it, to watch. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it takes a little time to get it done, but I need to start doing more of that. But um, that's one of, the, one of the things we do on there. We, our Facebook page, we try to be real proactive. Eric, who works for me, does a very good job of that. And he loves doing stuff like that. I, I can't stand it, but he loves it. And we try to be real proactive and, and put our stuff out there on Facebook. Because to be quite honest, we have a really nice website that I don't update nearly as nearly often enough, hardly ever. And, and it costs me a bunch of money to build, and it's very nice. But the power of social media is huge. And you guys should be the first to know that. I mm -hmm. mean, obviously you do. So we try to do a lot of stuff on social media because people like to see what's going on. And to be quite honest with you, our clients, we have clients anywhere from California to North Carolina and every state in between here. 
and we'd like to put their dogs on there. So, and people enjoy seeing their dogs on Facebook because they, they don't get to come out, you know, and see them all the time, you know, because they're so far away. All right, so um, kind of changing subjects here a little bit. Um, we talked a little bit about your hunting. You get out there for the ducks and geese in spite of your busy schedule. So um, go ahead, tell us uh, how your hunting is kind of um, during the season. Well, we live out here in western Nebraska, and everybody that has been in Nebraska has seen the Platte River. Well, the Platte River, they meet the South Platte and North Platte. They meet just east of North Platte, Nebraska, and that and that turns into the Platte River. And I live on the North Platte River, and it's about a mile from my house, and it's a mecca. It is it is absolutely insane the amount the numbers of birds here. It and the beauty about where we live is there's so many warm water sloughs and creeks and tributaries that come into it where I live that it doesn't freeze. Now the Platte River will lock up east of us about 10 miles will even freeze a little bit, but we basically slush up up here when it gets real, real cold. And, but it doesn't last very long and the birds never leave as long as there's not a foot of snow on the ground, which we don't get a lot of snow anyway, but as long as the food source isn't covered, they don't go anywhere. They just hunker down. And, and it's, it's a very unique part of the country because when they leave Canada or the Dakotas or Montana and their waters froze up, the first open water they get to is the Platte River. And they make it their home. And there's a monster food. There's corn everywhere. And, and they don't really leave. It's, a, it's, it's really hard to explain. And the kind of hunting I do, I prefer to do. I'm a duck guy. I love shooting ducks. Um, I'm a river guy and I love the river. You'll find me on the river almost every day. I hunt 60, 70 days a year of a 90 day season, which is a lot. I don't even start hunting until probably middle of November. And I hunt almost every day until then. And I'm pretty serious about my duck hunting. And, (laughs) and, the river to me is, is the place to go. And it's funny because the river, you run traffic. All you're doing is racing. You're running traffic on the river. That river is like a highway. They just fly up and down the river. And if you've got the best blind, the best decoy spread, and you're a good caller, a lot of times you can really do a, do a you, can, you can get them. You know, a lot of our, and a lot of our hunting depends on our weather. The, when the wind blows, we do, we do really well. Just like everybody else. You know, you go down to Arkansas or whatever. They like the bluebird days, calm. They shoot them in the timber. That's terrible for us. That, that's not... We got to have a little bit of wind, and then we can we can get them pretty good. But we hunt on the river. Um, a dog is a must on the river. You've you've got to have a dog on the river because there's lots of cripples, and we take a dog with us every time we go. Usually we take two because um, if you get a, a group of guys and you drop ten mallards in the river, that is a that's a cluster. Mm-hmm. Let me let me tell you because that thing's flowing pretty good, and there's some hazards too. You know it's. It can be pretty dangerous, a lot of downed trees, you know, that sort of thing. But but um, I'm a river guy, so we hunt the river, and that's that's it's a very unique experience. I'm going to tell you that for sure. So that, that kind of brings up a, um, a question that I have um, about kind of dog, dog techniques um, when hunting the river. 
So um, I know kind of traditionally on like let's say a pond you shoot the bird you want them to go straight out to the bird and come straight back but with river curtain and all that kind of stuff it kind of plays out a little bit different and I got a buddy whose dog will go and I mean this is this is definitely probably not the right way but he'll go out to the bird and just go to the bank and then drop that bird and, and go back out kind of kind of deal and and I guess obviously with the current um, your dog can't just swim straight back to you if they're going up upstream so how, how do you uh, kind of work that in to your as, a, as a dog trainer that makes me cringe <laughs> drop the bird and that makes the, my, my OCD starts kicking in but but the, the the beauty about the North Platte River is is it's really pretty shallow um, I mean it can be ankle deep all the way out to, to chest deep but most of the time it's about ankle to knee deep and a lot of dogs can run in in the river but um, how we handle the river is you got to understand something I'm I, all of our hunting dogs are all test and trial dogs. So they, when we hunt our dogs, there's specific rules. And we keep those rules very high and those standards very high. So when hunting season's over, we don't have to have, you know, a lot of rebuilding, a lot of fixing. Because we spent hundreds and hundreds of hours, you know, building these dogs. So the biggest thing about the river is I don't like the dogs to run the bank. I won't even let them run the bank. They have to get in the river or I tell them to and angle across. Now, if the now if the bird's too far down there, and they got to go down the bank, I will run with the dog because you you to hunt the North Platte River, you can't weigh three hundred pounds and not move. It just doesn't work. You got to get out. And there's a lot of times I'll be a quarter mile down the river picking up birds because they're cripples or you know you, it's they're super hard to catch. So what we'll do is we'll get out with the dog out of the blind, and we'll run down the river bank. And if we're hunting with two guys and we drop multiple birds, one guy will stay by the blind and pick up the ones out in front of the blind that are relatively easy but there's always seems to be a cripple or a sailor or something and then so one person will get out with their dog and run down the bank and, and catch that bird and if it's alive still we'll sluice it on the water because it's almost impossible to catch a cripple uh, in the river and we'll sluice it on the water and then the dog will jump straight in the water right there and then come back to us right there they won't be running down the bank on their own if you know what i mean mm -hmm. we're taking mm -hmm. that we're taking that cheating part of that water away from them and i'll be quite honest with you you need to be with them anyway because the river is not for the faint of heart when it comes to a dog and if they go around the corner or a bend or something you don't know what they're going to get into so you need to have your eyes on that dog at all times for safety honestly and so we don't let the dogs go out of sight and, and cheat the bank and run down the bank. And, you know, and it's funny because we teach the dogs to come straight back to us as well, like in the water. So they have to come straight back to us. Well, and like you said, they can't come back to you because of the current. So what we'll do is we'll blow the whistle and we'll make them stop and we'll cast them to the bank. And, and then we let them get on the bank and then run back to us. But that's okay. our decision to put them on the bank, gotcha. not theirs. Okay. You know, if I, you no, know that I makes mean? sense. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Actually, then it saves that in... training aspect. It saves that, it saves that de cheating training aspect that you've done with those dogs. Gotcha. Yeah. That, I had a similar situation to that last year, kind of for the first time with my dog. We're hunting a, a swifter part of the river um, just due to freeze up and all that kind of stuff. And um, he ended up with a honker in his mouth trying to swim upstream towards me. Yep. And he did that for about 10, 15 seconds. 
and until he realized that uh, he's not going to make it that way then he cut over to the bank so yeah um definitely yeah. good good to hear kind of your perspective on yeah how it and i know a lot of dogs up here that hunt and you'll shoot and i'd be quite honest with you if that's all you're after for is a dog to go get your birds and as quickly as possible and efficiently as possible i have zero problems with it but they'll get out and they'll just run straight down the bank and start jumping in and picking up birds and then you know the guy will meet them down there but the dog won't angle in the water like it's supposed to or you know they'll just run down the bank and jump in for for us as a dog trainer and what we do i can't allow that to happen Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so we keep a real high standard and but we get out we go running down the bank and just to, you know, for safety, for one, safety, and for two, we want to keep that standard and let that, you know, and be as fair to that dog as we possibly can. Because if you let, if you allow that to happen, you know, the cheating in the banks, the running down the banks, and all those sort of things, then that's your fault, and that dog is going to pay the price when you go back to the spring after hunting season and start de-cheating that dog and fixing all those problems, where you could have, as as a you guy that has a hunt test dog or wants to run trials or tests, you could have stopped a lot of that. But you're, you know, people are too lazy to get out and run down the bank, you know, but mm-hmm. we don't, we run down the bank. That's why we wear, we don't wear neoprene waders. You won't catch me in neoprene waders. I'll fall over and die. <laughs> I wear, I wear the, the, the banded waders. I'll tell you what, that, that's a, that's a savior. Those neoprene waders. We do a lot of running up and down the bank. And all of our blinds are heated. You could literally sit in our blind in blue jeans and T-shirts in the middle of January. So, um, yeah. Well, Jordan and I are just switching over to the banded 2.0s um, this season. So we're just – Jordan, you yeah. wore neoprene last year, didn't you? Um, I've done both. I've yeah. done both. It's my first um, set of breathable. I'm pumped. Man, get yeah, the black labels. The black labels. The, bl- nice. the, the banded black labels are, the, are, the, are where it's at. Those are the real deal. That's all I wear. It's like wearing muck boots and bibs. Yeah. I wear them. I wear them in the wall. I wear them in Walmart. I'll go in the grocery store. I mean, I ain't kidding you. My wife's like, "You're going?" I'm like, "Yep." This is. I mean, we put our. You know, I the farthest place. The farthest I have to drive to go hunting is 15 minutes. That's my farthest drive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, Shut literally, up. that's my farthest drive. And it's like, I got to drive all the way over there. <laughs> you know. So I put my waders on at the house. And I just get in my truck and take off. We all, everybody that works for me and or hunts with me, my kids, my wife, um, Eric, everybody that works for me, we all meet in the kennel in the morning and, you know, air the dogs and do what we need to do. And then we all meet at the kennel in the morning, which is right by my house. And everybody's got a locker in there. And we Dang. put our waders on there <laughs> and we get in trucks and we just take off. And it's you 15 um, minute drive. Are you guys accepting applications? <laughs> sure. The pay is really low, and the hours are super long, so you'd probably love it. But the hunting's awesome. There's the, the bonus. Yeah, the hunting is, the hunting can be good. It's just like anywhere else. So you'll have your slow times, and you'll have your good times. But, you know, it's you know, it's so funny. You know, I'm, I'm really good friends with a guy named Chris Aiken in Arkansas. We're, like, best friends. And he's got great hunting in Arkansas down there. You know, he's got – he hunts a timber and – he, he's big, real big into it. He's a dog trainer like I am. We're real good, but we're hanging out all the time. And I hunt the North Platte River, and he, we keep talking to him like, hey, man, you need to come hunting down here with me. And he's like, man, you need to come hunting with me, but you almost can't pry me away from the river. Yeah. And you can't pry him away from the timber. <laughs> you know, but we love the duck hunt, but we love the duck hunt how we duck hunt, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's just, it gets in your blood. 
And I've been invited all over the country to go duck hunting with people because I have a lot of contacts, you know, with training dogs and clients and, you know, Louisiana and Arkansas. And I'm like, man, I'd love to, but I know we're going to get a new push of birds in like 36 hours, and there is no way I'm leaving here. <laughs> there is no way I ain't going to do it. Because that when you get a push of birds in North Platte River, there is nothing like it. It is unbelievable. But, um, you know, I've just stuck to the river, and, and it's, it's funny how you fall into that that groove of, of what you really like to do. And as I get older, I don't need to go shoot 500 mile. I don't, I don't, I don't need to do that. You know, I want to be with who I want to be and be comfortable and, and, and enjoy the actual experience instead of, you know, everybody wants to pile the birds up, man, don't get me wrong. I like to pull the trigger and pile the birds up, but that, that's not what it's about to me. Yeah. It's that five stages of hunting chart yep. you know yeah yeah and I, I don't know what stage i'm in but um i'm not in the into the i'm mad at them stage anymore i can tell you that yeah <laughs> you're like a stage six yeah i, I mean it's funny because i'll you know i shoot a 28 gauge on north platte river yeah i mean you have to get them right in your face and or a 20 20 is the biggest i'll ever shoot and it's funny is is, is people that hunt with me and my wife and a bunch of people they're like oh, i get a 12 gauge and and it's so funny. Most of my friends all shoot 20s now. Hmm. And, and, and even if shooting geese, like we'll be in a, you know, I won't go goose hunting, but if they're out shooting geese, they're shooting 20 gauges. You <laughs> and know, George's the 20 gauge guy too. I love 20 gauges, man. I yeah. love my M2. I've, I, I've nicknamed my uh, my 20 gauge. I got a, it's like a 1970s uh, A5 nice. um, that I got from my grandpa. And it's one of the Magnum ones, so you can chamber uh, three-inch shells through it. But I've nicknamed it the Goose Slayer because it's just I smack geese with it. I'm like telling crazy. you, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I, I I can't tell you how many limits of geese I shot last year with my 28 gauge, number sixes, <laughs> because I'll wow. shoot them like when we put them on when we hunt the river. We do put a you know if if some other people go with us, uh, we put a few goose decoys out because there's so many around. <laughs> They're everywhere. But if it's just me and my wife, I'm not putting a goose decoy out. But um, she likes to shoot them, but I'm like, eh, I'm not shooting these things. <laughs> but if we put, it's so funny, they come right in, and you'll shoot them with a 28 gauge, and people cannot believe you're doing it. But, but if, you know, if you put it on them, you put it on them, you know. That's the beauty yeah. of it, you know. Anybody can kill anything with, tw- with a 12 gauge. But I guess that stems from me being a muzzleloader guy and, you know, stuff <laughs> like that when I was shooting deer. Awesome. All right, let's go over um, and talk about hunt tests and kind of delete it off. We had a, a listener question. Um, uh, it was uh, known that you're coming on the podcast with us tonight. So B. Taylor wanted us to ask you how um, you prepare for the HRC grands. Um, I, I get that question a lot. And we prepare we're actually preparing for the grand right now the grand starts on september 9th i believe and if you guys don't know what the grand is which i, I don't think you really do it's the and no no disrespect to the master national because i run that event as well um it's the grand is the hardest hunt test in the world um it has got a pass rate of anywhere from 10 to 20 percent and there's 600 dogs that enter so you can you can do the math on that you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just found out today, um, my wife doesn't even know this, but I just found out today that our kennel is um, running the most dogs in the grand of any facility in the country this year. We're running 19, and our facility is running most the most dogs in the Master National of any facility in the country. We're on 27. Wow. So 
Our little kennel in western Nebraska, out in the middle of nowhere, is running the most dogs in both of those national events more than anybody in the country. But um, And we're getting ready to run the Grand here in a couple weeks. The biggest thing about the Grand and how to prepare for the Grand is you can't prepare for the Grand two weeks before the Grand. Preparation for the Grand is every day all year long. Um, it's the hardest hunt test in the world. It's very difficult to pass. And in a 20-year, 19-year career, I've, passed, I've made 36 grand champions. So, it, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it kind of is <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, you know. But um, you can't prepare for the grand in two weeks or even a week because what, what you end up doing is you put too much mental stress on your dog because I'm going to the grand, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, and you start training that dog like it's not used to being trained and it really starts mentally getting worn out and you take the fire out of the dog you take the want to out of the dog because it's not used to doing that you know it's not used to you know i'm not a concrete layer and it's just like that if, if you made me go pour concrete and, and, and put on shingles i would die because that's not what i'm used to you know what i'm saying it's the same thing with a dog if you are trying to over prepare for the grand the dog isn't used to working that hard mentally and or physically and you're going to go into an animal that's in with an animal that's not ready because you think it's ready but you've you've really crippled that animal you have to keep the, the, the prayer for the grand is you have to keep a very high standard all the time because then that really high standard becomes second nature to that dog and you're prepared for the grand whenever it starts you're not trying to cram in preparation two weeks before or even a month before. You just got to do a little bit of tweaking and you're ready to go because that dog understands what a really high standard is. And once it understands that high standard, it'll keep that standard and it won't be overly stressed out mentally. If, the, if that Does that make sense yeah. at all? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just can't cram it in like that. It doesn't work. You just got to keep a real high standard all the time. And what we do, I, I will tell you, what we do a lot of um, prepping for the grand and stuff like that, we always keep a very high standard when it comes to lion manners, but we are extra diligent um, preparing for the grand when it comes to lion manners. We really walk to the bucket really nice, and the dog has to walk to the bucket really nice and, and has to do everything right. And, and we, I will tell you, we actually do do kind of doing that a little bit harder and a little more strict than than we do every single day but we keep a very high standard no matter what um the biggest thing too about like the mark he probably want to know about marks and blinds um like the marks we run a long mark a medium mark and a short mark so we have every aspect um of marking going on you've got a short bird for a check down bird, you got a long punch bird, you got a medium range bird, you have to, you can't throw them all at 150 yards, you can't throw them all at 40 yards. You might have one at 40, one at 90, and one at 180. Um, you've got to, you know, all your marks have to um, be different lengths and put them in places they kind of really don't want to go, put them in some cover, make them kind of hard to get to, um, that sort of thing. Um, if that makes sense at all. And then the, the blinds, the, the biggest thing about the blind retrieves on, at the Grand is you got to have very, very good control. you got to have a good initial line. Your dog has to stop really well, so your dog needs to stop to the whistle 
quickly and take all your casts. And the biggest thing about the grand blinds, if I was to tell anybody how to prepare for a grand blind, is make the last 20 yards difficult to finish. Put it, put it someplace a dog does not want to go, but it has to get in there and it has to listen. You have to be able to handle that dog in the last 20 yards to finish that blind. If, if that, that's where most people will lose their dogs at the very end of a blind at the grand. Because they're very good at, at bird placement and putting blinds where dogs don't want to go. So how many of your 19 do you think have a legitimate chance at passing? 19. Really? Yeah. <laughs> or they wouldn't be going. Yeah. Um, of those 19, two of them are Grand Hunter Retriever champions already. Um, dog named Jet that I own has passed the Grand seven times. Wow. Um, another dog named Reese that Delbert Smith from Colorado owns. It's a very, very nice dog. She's a Grand Champion. She's passed it twice. Um, other than that, I have five other ones that are going um, that need one pass. Ammo, Hope, Ticket, Chloe, and Shaker. They need to pass it one more time, and they'll, be, they'll become Grand Hunter Retriever Champions. Um, so there's five of those. So hopefully, we, hopefully Flatlander Kennels can break the 40 dog no 40 grand dog mark that would be spectacular i never thought in a million years i have 40 grand dogs wow i remember awesome. my i remember my first hunt test i ever went to was a hrc finish test i was i went to watch and i watched this dog run a 100 yard blind retrieve in the water i thought it was the most amazing thing i've ever seen i'm like how am i gonna get a dog to do that it probably had 15 whistles it wasn't very good at all but i thought it was the greatest thing i've ever seen and 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 to be where we're at today is really it's it's it, it, we sit back a lot and think about well, how, how did we do this, you know? Um, but no, of the 19 dogs, I, I think they all got a legitimate chance. We are taking some very young dogs. Uh, it'll be their first grand experience. And it's not, the grand is not built for a, a young dog. It's, it's a very, it's kind of more of an experienced savvy type dog, but you'll get occasionally get the two year old that passes that thing. Um, but that doesn't happen very often. But um, of the 19 dogs, I think all 19 are legitimately have a shot for sure. I think 15 of them have an extremely good shot of passing. And I think there's four of them that have a, a really good shot if, if everything goes according to plan. Um, the biggest thing about the grand, it's not that you need any good luck, is you can't have any bad luck. And if you have bad luck, hopefully it's on a dog that kind of can overcome that. Um, when I say bad luck, maybe you run when the lighting is really, really bad or the winds changed or something like that, where the young dogs aren't quite experienced enough to overcome that bad luck. You know, and, and, and it's funny, in our flight, so I'm running most dogs in the Grand of any kennel in the country. In our flight, which I'm either going to be a hero or a zero, but you know what? That's who's ready to go, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not really worried about my reputation. Unless I pass, all, I pass a whole bunch of them, that'll be good. If I don't, I don't. But um, that's, you know, that's my job. But um, I'm the first dog to run in the flight, which is the kiss of death. And I'm the <laughs> last dog to run in the flight, which is the kiss of death. <laughs> so um, I'll be running in every, every weather situation and that you can possibly think of. I'm going to be in it. So. Now, I know you had it listed on the uh, your uh, Facebook page, but remind me with Georgie's parents, Flash and Islay. Am I saying that name correctly? Islay. Isla. 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 Sorry, I, say, I always Isla. butcher yeah. that. It's where it's are not. they? Where are they in their um, development? 
Okay, Flash is he's going to run the fall grant in two weeks. He's going to run the grant for the very first time in his career. Um, he's owned by Justin Hens from Lincoln Creek Labs out there in York, Nebraska. He is he, he's four years old. He is a hunting, he's an HRCH. He's a hunting retriever champion. He's a master hunter. He's passed the Master National once. He's one for one in the Master National, and he's QA2. He's qualified LH2, which is a field trial title. Um, he he is one of my, I don't want to say for sures, but he is one of my picks to actually, he's one of my, I call him, my, he's one of my big guns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Like I said, he's the first time to run the Grand, but he is a phenomenal animal. This dog is unbelievable he is so talented he might be the fastest dog i've ever seen in my entire life it's incredible how fast he is but he's not but sometimes you get them really really fast dogs that don't think he still thinks as he's doing it which is which is the beauty of flash (laughs) um he's got a very good chance of passing this grand he'll be running the master national as well got a very good chance of passing the master national um he's passed he's probably passed 90 percent 95% 95% of all the tests he's ever ran in his career. So he's a very consistent dog. But like I said, you never know. Um, he could run in really bad lighting. He could, I mean, you just never know. Mm-hmm. There's lots of stuff that, 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 there's a lot of things that go into the grand and not passing the grand and or passing the grand that you have no control over. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I have clients like, well, I thought you said he was ready. He's like, he was ready. He ran dog one, the sun was barely up, and the dew was on the ground, and there's no scent on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's no wind. There's nothing to help that dog. And so it just all depends on where you run. He's got a great shot, man. He's got a great shot. Now, when they they pass the grand, does the price of their pups just automatically shoot up? Is that how it works? um, Usually, if they pass the grand, the people who have bought those puppies owe me $100 (laughs) per pass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, usually, when they start getting grand titles and stuff, their stud fee goes up to breed to. Mm-hmm. So if, when Flash get win, there's no doubt in my mind he'll get it eventually. I don't know when it'll happen. But when he becomes a Grand Hunter Retriever champion, master hunter, master national hunter in the Hall of Fame and in the QA2, his stud fee goes up. Mm-hmm. He's just more desirable of a dog. You know what I mean? It's just like... It's just like a, a quarterback winning Super Bowls. Quarterback winning Super Bowls. And, you know, you start winning Super Bowls, you get paid more. Yeah. Um, and that's just how it works. And then, you know, you got Isla. Isla is a wonderful animal. She is She's one of my personal dogs. Um, it, it, this, I don't know if I told you the story about Isla, but Isla, Isla and also a dog named Barley, who is, who is also a Grand Hunter Troop champion. Um, they're owned by a very, very nice lady. Her name was Faith Rothermill from Texas. And Isla, we own Isla now, and we own Barley. She used to own both of these dogs. Well, Faith was, she was from Benton, Texas. Super good, the nicest lady ever. Loved her dogs. She was never married, and she never had any kids. Well, she came down with cancer about, well, that's about a year and a half ago now, I guess. And when she, a very aggressive form of cancer. Well, when she passed away, um, she willed the dogs to me because we just got along really well and, and we knew the, we, would, she, we, we would take care of her dogs. So 
when she did that, I promised her that Isla would, and Barley, would run the Grands and the Master National until they couldn't do it anymore because that was always her dream, is to own a, own a Master National Hunter and a Grand Hunter Chief Champion. Well, Isla um, has, she's an HRCH, she's a Master Hunter, and she's, had a, and she's got one Master National Pass, so she's got a plate, and she's been to the, the Grand is five series, and she's been to the fourth series twice. And I just can't quite get her over that hump yet, but she's right there. She's banging on the door of passing this thing. Now, how old is she? So she's actually seven. Seven. Yep, yeah, she started her career with us kind of late, um, but she's actually seven. Um, so, and then Barley, her other dog that she owned, he actually is a Grand Hunting Retriever champion now. He's a master hunter. He's passed a master national. So she'd be super. And I don't even consider them my dogs, man. I, they're Faith's dogs. I'm just taking care of them. That probably and means a lot to you to get them to that point. It, um, it does. It, it when, I, when Barley got his grand title last fall, I was, I'm not a real emotional guy, but there was definitely tears. That's and, awesome. And it, it's a big deal for me. And Isla, she is so talented, man. I hope she gets her grand title, and she's one of also one of my big guns that I've got going into it. Um, she's so consistent. She is so consistent, it's crazy. Um, she's got a great shot. She's got a great shot at it. But, like I said, she's seven years old, so we, we need to kind of get this deal done on her. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, definitely some cool insight on that. Yeah. So you, you think, Elliot, this is a good time to jump to the lightning round? Yep, yep. All right, so lightning round, quick questions and quick answers, and helps us uh, get to know a little bit more about you oh as boy. a duck hunter. Oh, boy, lightning round. <laughs> lightning round of duck hunting. All right. All right, what kind of gun do you shoot? Depends. I shoot a Benelli M2, or I shoot a Benelli Ultra Light 28 gauge. And uh, what's your dream gun? Ooh, my dream gun? Parker side by side, a real one. <laughs> and real uh, one. what what uh what type of ammo do you shoot for uh um your duck hunting? And I'm easy squeezy. I buy Kent Fast Steel, and that's all I shoot. If I can find, I usually shoot a Federal in my 28 gauge because it's hard to find that. But I I shoot Kent Fast Steel number fours, three inch number fours, and three inch number twos out of my 20. All right. And uh, I think the audience is going to have a little bit of a hint to this one, but uh, do you like to shoot ducks or geese more? Ducks, zero doubt. <laughs> and uh, um, what is your, well, again, you've kind of answered some of these through the podcast, but what is your favorite terrain to hunt? North Platte River is, is, my, is North Platte River or f- field mallards in a cornfield. I love that too. Awesome. So in your in your field, are you a uh, A-frame or um, a layout blind hunter? I'm in a layout blind. Yeah. And I'm uh, what what is your uh, choke uh, choke tube of choice? Man, it's funny you ask that. We used to be sponsored by Patternmaster, which makes a great choke. But I literally shoot a modified whatever comes in the gun. I shoot a modified. I shoot whatever factory choke they give me it's always a modified unless it's early 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 season and i'm shooting three inch sixes i'll shoot it out of an ic mm. 
See, Elliot, uh, he shoots a extra tight, full choke on almost everything. I do not. That's because he must not be able to get him close enough. See, I'm so anti-full choke. And I I don't know if you've heard this, but there's a running narrative that we're hearing all the time that's starting to catch fire with people that full chokes are better in close because either you kill them or miss them. I cannot tell you how many times we've heard that. I just want to, come on. I'm telling you, my favorite, when I shot a 12-gauge, my favorite duck load in the world was three-inch sixes of an IC choke. Yep. yep. A lot of BBs. But no, I shoot three inch fours or three inch twos. And a lot of times I shoot twos because I, I don't I don't usually shoot into the first first volley. I'm more of a backup shooter to everybody else. So I'll shoot three inch twos a lot. And then um talking about your spread a little bit, um are you big spread or little spread? Big. On um usually a really big spread. We'll run fifteen to twenty dozen duck decoys. Um, a mixture of full bodies and floaters. Did you say 15 to 20 dozen? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yes. That's beyond big. <laughs> well, the, you got to understand, if you're hunting that North Platte River, you know, it's a, it's a monster travel, mm-hmm. travel way. And usually, and we run really good, really good decoys, Avery Greenhead Gear decoys. They look, I mean, they're the best. Mm-hmm. But we run a big spread because you've got to attract I mean, we'll decoy, and I'm not even exaggerating, 300 mallards at a time. Wow! Wow! So if you're doing that, and you're doing it, and you're doing it at 10 or 15 yards, you've got to have a spread big enough to attract them, and, and so they can see you. I mean, they're they're flying around a lot, so you've got to have a spread that they're going to be interested in. You know. So, so uh, where can I drop my application off again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a dog trainer, but I can pick up yeah. the poop. <laughs> you know what? World needs ditch diggers too, brother. <laughs> uh, there's a and, lot of we feed th- we feed thirty thousand pounds of dog food a year, so there's plenty of poop to be picked up. Yeah, I, I bet seventy five dogs worth of poop. Yeah. I can hardly keep up with one. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. <laughs> um, and so, uh, do you guys use mojos uh, or? What type of motion do you use, if any? I'm a big mojo guy. Um, I like Lucky Ducks. They're my favorite. Um, we use mo- we use Lucky Ducks. Um, I- I'm a big spinner guy. I, I really believe in them. Um, now, they're all on remotes. Um, I will tell you that because geese hate them. So if yeah. geese do actually want to come in, I shut them off. And then sometimes later in the season, they'll get really squirrely, uh, the ducks. will. So you, sometimes you turn them off, sometimes you turn them on. But I'll, run, I'll usually typically run anywhere from – two to five five of them but typically wow. typically two <laughs> i guess nice yeah. uh that's definitely a, a wild spread you guys get yeah. going on there. well it, it's 20 different. dozen yeah, floaters and full bodies and, it, it's and a, five I'm, mojos it, it looks beautiful man and it, and, it, I bet, and, yeah. it, and when we show up you know if it's just me and my wife hunting we won't put out that many because we're we're just you know we're just in it for having fun and spending some time together and shooting some birds it's not about shooting you know big numbers and we'll just put out a few dozen and see what happens because be quite honest with you i don't want to pick up 20 dozen by myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and she sits at the bank and her waiters and and if the if the, if the water goes above her ankles she's out <laughs> but she will get across like to an island or something but she'll she'll meet me at the bank and i'll handle her and i and i'd use the rigum rights and i 
you know, I give a dozen on each one of them, and she'll lift them up, and we pick them up every day. They go in the blind every day. We never leave them out, and um, I'll give them to her, and she'll go up the bank with them and put them in the blinds, and she helps a lot. Don't get me wrong. I'm just giving her crap, but she, I'm going to tell you, though, that I'm serious about that. That water goes over her ankle. She's, she's done, <laughs> but she does wear her waders. When we were up there, we were really impressed with your wife. She's just so hospitable, and um, my wife hit it off with her right away. So, and you've you've got a good one there. She seems really. Oh, I have cool. a great. I got a great wife. I don't know why she puts up with me because I am not the easiest guy in the world to get along with. Because we kind of do what we do, and and but she. But I'm gonna tell you, don't let her fool you. She wants to go hunt just about as bad as I do, and I'll be sitting around. I'm like, man, I don't want to go today. And she's like, let's go. Get up. We're going. I'm like, <laughs> fine <laughs> you know and and we'll go and we'll hang out and um some of the best duck hunts i've ever seen in my life it was just me and her um sitting in a blind you know we go every christmas um that's one of our main deal every christmas morning we go hunting and just her and i and we go get in a blind and if we have family in they get to go with us and, I, and I'm sorry if you have little kids, but Santa doesn't come until duck, we get home from duck hunting. <laughs> That's just how it is. Every Christmas morning we go. And there is there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So Awesome. Yeah. You are like living a, the dream. A great way to spend Christmas. Well, we're, 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 we're trying to live the dream up here. It's not always cupcakes and rainbows, but, you yeah. know, it's it, there could be worse <laughs> things. And last question we got on the lightning round. Face paint, face mask, or nothing at all? nothing i i don't do face paint like first <laughs> i hate that crap and then you got to wash it off and i'm not willy on duck dynasty i'm not putting it on um and a face mask it's hard to call on and, and every time i put a face mask on i try to turn my head and it never really moves with me and it mm -hmm. gets all crooked and i'm a super anal guy about and I can't, it drives me nuts but how we hunt is we we hunt in high back, low front blinds that are in the ground. They're like a pit. And you literally can sit there and you can wear white almost. Everything's covered up. Um, and you don't have to have your face painted or anything like that. Um, I don't like you sticking your face out, you know, so they can see it. But the way our blinds are set up, very easy to see the birds, very easy to pick them out when they're coming in very and there's no you're not flipping lids or anything like that we use a bundle system which works fantastic so you don't need to be face painted up or or, or face masked up um i guess if you're doing layout blinds you you probably could do a face mask but man i'm not putting that greasy ass face paint on me <laughs> uh, i got a, i got a gray beard you know kind of like elliot does a little bit so i'd have to put grecian for me my beard yeah. if i'm gonna do face paint <laughs> Getting grayer by the awesome. moment. It's horrible, man. I wasn't like this until I started training dogs. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. We could probably go on for hours. Um, even just asking Elliot's and I's personal dog questions. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we'll spare you the stress for tonight. Oh, I'm sure I'll get a text tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky. I, I've got uh, Chris on speed dial. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good resource yeah. to have, let me tell you. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on um, and spreading your knowledge with us and hearing all your awesome stories about uh, growing up in the country <laughs> i'll tell and, you that um, was something Nebraska. else that was something yeah. else so go ahead and uh go ahead and let people know where they can find uh 
you and all your stuff getting going on on the internet? Okay, well, if you'd like to see us on the internet, my website is, is uh, www.flatlanderkennels.com. Um, our Facebook page is Flatlander Kennels Inc. Inc. We do a lot of stuff on our Facebook page. I, I, I highly recommend everybody jumping on there. Um, we're going to start doing some major giveaways coming up here pretty soon. We've got some stuff, you know, from our friends at Deerskin down there in Texas and dog boxes, and we got some sport dog stuff. We got some great giveaways coming. Um, if you'd like to contact me personally, um, CJ, like Chris Jobman, CJ at flatlanderkennels.com is my email. Um, we'd love to help you guys out, talk dogs. If anybody wants to looking for a puppy, we've actually got um, where LA got his puppy at, Georgie. We got a couple of Georgie brothers for sale right now that are doing fantastic retrieving birds and getting in the water. They're unbelievable puppies, man. They're unbelievable. Um, but no, just get on, email me, get on my Facebook page, get on, get on our website. Um, we'd love to talk to you, love to help you out any way, shape, way, shape or form. Um, train your dog for you if you'd like. Uh, if we don't have puppies, I train a lot of puppies for really good breeders. I can put you in touch with a very, very nice puppy down the road. Um, that way you can kind of sift through the, the puppy world and we can help you, help you find one there. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, and thanks again for coming on. All right, guys, this is all we got. It's a wrap for tonight. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Chris from Flatlander Kennels, and we'll see you guys on the next one. See you guys. Thank you.